Well, thank you so much for that beautiful music, and I love that last song. Jesus paid it all, amen? All to him I owe. And as a result of that, that kind of gives us uh, an impression of what we ought to do with our lives, right? Jesus paid it all, and we do owe him everything. After all, we'll spend eternity with him. Well, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read verse 8 together. We, uh, Pastor Carl and I, spent a long time talking about what we would uh, approach this week, and uh, things kind of got thrown off by the one week we were gone because of the wonderful snow that we had. But uh, what we're doing today is we're going to touch on the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. And today, I want to talk to you about living courageously in a culture of compromise. Living courageously in a culture of compromise. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 1 in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to study this wonderful man of old. And to think of all these years later, some two and a half millennia later, the opportunity to learn from this life, and I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know how to apply it to our own day. Because Lord, I know that there are so many things he went through that we face as well. The Lord, guide and bless this church. Be with us. I pray this would be a place where the Holy Spirit has free reign to work in our hearts. Please work through your word, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I would say that one of the most powerful traps in the world today is peer pressure. How many of you have ever felt the pressure of your peers? Anybody else ever been there before? Everyone in this room feels it. I think our society is often guided by it. Our self-esteem is often wrongly based upon it. Our estimation of others is usually influenced by it. It seems oftentimes to move the world. Advertisement in in America today seems to be based upon peer pressure. Over the past several years, we've seen the rise of a certain phenomenon in history, the rise of the so-called influencer. Anybody ever heard that one before? I, uh, I, by the way, this is absolutely free, has nothing to do with my notes, but I saw a video the other day of a person who kept appealing to the police officer who pulled them over and saying, but, but I'm an influencer. He, he wasn't buying it. Anyway, obviously she didn't influence him. Anyway, but it's amazing how an influencer can tell you something like the Stanley coffee mug you've been using for years somehow is now worth more today, twice as much as it was last year. Anybody ever seen that phenomenon going on? How many of you went out and bought a bunch of Stanley coffee mugs? Anybody? You know, that we are driven by peer pressure. That's what we're getting at. We've all felt the pull of pressure in making decisions. The desire to be approved by another is especially evident in children. You may remember some of those life-shaking, earth-shattering, incredibly important decisions you made when you're a child, like, for instance, what brand of shoes should I buy? Anybody ever been there? Right before we moved to Cheyenne, Wyoming, I, in junior high school, was a member of a basketball team that had won the Arkansas State Championships twice. And to just let you know what that means, in Arkansas, they, they study basketball and play school. I mean, it is, it's backwards. And uh, 
I remember watching TV commercials, and I'm going to totally give my age out right now, but I remember a time when the big thing was something called Reebok Pump basketball shoes. You all remember those? And they would, they would advertise a guy that would struggle with his game, and then he would stop, and he would pump up these, these little things on the tongue of his shoes, and suddenly he could jump like crazy, you know? And I was convinced that if I were to buy some of those shoes, that I could slam a basketball. I could touch the rim, but I couldn't put the ball through the goal. And so I talked to my parents. I persuaded. I did everything I could. I mowed the lawn perfectly. And it was a big deal because in Arkansas, everything just grows like crazy. And so I would do all these things. And finally, I got those Reebok pump basketball shoes. And you know what I found out? I jumped the same as I did in LA gear basketball shoes. And the funny thing is, the next year, I absolutely needed the brand new Nike Air Jordans that came out. And you know what? The effect was exactly the same. I had to buy those for myself, by the way. Parents were done with that. Every time a new trend or fad would come through school, everyone had to have it. And I think the reason why we all look back at those memories and think of it a certain way is because we have all succumbed to those kind of impulses driven by the pressure of another. And today we live in a society that wants us to conform, yet we're called by Christ to be different. I always loved the way this was phrased in the Old King James. We're called literally in the Old King James, it says, to be a peculiar people. Now, I've met a lot of peculiar people in church, but it means that differently. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says this, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and here's how it's rendered today, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's an amazing thing to think. That God who gave himself for us in uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous of good works. And so we have this calling as to who we ought to be on the one hand, and yet the pressure to conform on the other. And I would dare say, if there was someone listening to the sermon today, and yet you're not yet a Christian. There is still that sense in life that there is a struggle to conform. Life is full of that kind of struggle. And I would say, and I'm kind of thinking of C.S. Lewis as I make this remark, that because you and I, we feel that struggle because we were never meant to live in the world like the one we find ourselves in today. We were not created to live in a world that has the presence of sin and injustice wrongdoing, and evil. That was never God's intention for his creation. And so we feel this uncomfortable tension to conform to the world's culture. We feel it as Christians, and I believe also we see that in even unbelievers today. And I believe it is uncomfortable, even for those not of our faith, because today many who are not of our faith are growing extremely frustrated with the modern pressure to conform to a kind of modern Gnosticism in the world that tells men and women that they are what they feel rather than uh, uh, being what they actually are. Somehow their body and their mind and soul being separate from one another like the ancient Gnostics taught. 
The Bible tells us that all of mankind feels that kind of comfort. And you can find it in Romans chapter 2 in verses 14 and 15. Because here's how Paul phrases this. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although they do not have the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law, get this, written in their hearts. You understand that? Even the unsaved world knows truth from error to some degree because it's written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness and between themselves and their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And so here we have it. A culture calling the world to conform to itself in defiance of the truth of God's word. Cutting against the grain of what people know to be the truth in their hearts. And here's where we find this wonderful illustration of a man in the Old Testament that will explain to us how to live out truth. And here we find it in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Now let's stop for a second and just think about Babylon. In Daniel's day, Babylon was a superpower. It was the superpower of the known world. Nebuchadnezzar at this point, his name was Nebuchadnezzar II. He was the son of Nabopolassar. He had just won one of the largest battles in the ancient world, the Battle of Carchemish in which he defeated the Egyptian armies of Pharaoh. That established him as the most powerful man in the world and Babylon as the superpower. Babylon itself, the capital city, a city that now lies in ruins. In, one, in Daniel's day, it was one of the great wonders of the world. It had massive walls, glazed with a vibrant lapis lazuli blue. It had 250 towers along this wall, a hundred gates of brass that lined its entry points. It was a very large city, a very religious city. It had over 53 temples and 180 altars to Ishtar inside of it. It was split by the Euphrates River, running down the middle of the city. J. Vernon McGee said of Babylon in his commentary that Babylon was known as the fountainhead of pagan religion and that it was the womb of heathen idols. And the children captured in Jerusalem, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and a host of others uh, were captured in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And I, I bring all of this up to say that there, undoubtedly these young men had a long time to think. You see, it was 965 miles, at least if I'm doing my calculations right, trying to follow the route on Google Maps Today, 965 miles from home to Babylon. And here's the reason I bring all of this up. 965 miles gives someone time to question the teachings they learned in their childhood. 965 miles to question whether the gods of Babylon were greater than the gods of their fathers. 965 miles to wonder whether evil Babylon was indeed stronger than the city of Jerusalem with the very temple of God. 
And I believe this, I bring this up because 965 miles can change a man. Being taken far from home to a place of great power and overwhelming beauty can cause people to question everything they've ever learned. Undoubtedly, you've been there before. And I believe that a lot of those young Jewish boys on that trip, they undoubtedly began to question all of those things we've just brought up. But the amazing thing is there was four young men it didn't work on. Four young men who did something with their lives that allowed them to live courageously in a culture of compromise. To live faithfully for the God of their fathers in spite of everything the culture was yelling at them. And when these children neared the end of their journey, they came face to face with the splendors of the world. I'm sure as they walked through that magnificent Ishtar gate, as it towered above them, and walked down the arrow straight road that Saddam Hussein rebuilt about 30 years ago, called the processional way as it stretched out before them. Many in the group apparently rejected all that they had been taught. I'm sure because it seemed that the splendors of the city proved to them, it seemed, that the God of the world was better than the God of their fathers. And so how then did these four men do the right thing and find the courage to live out their faith in this culture? Today we're going to look at an overview of the, uh, of the book of Daniel. This is what Pastor Carl suggested and really wanted us to do because the idea is we come here at 1015 to study the word of God from this sacred desk, but also in the hours beforehand, we have uh, Bible studies that happen all over the community. Uh, Pastor Paul teaches one just down the hallway. I teach one just below where I'm standing right now. Then we have age-related groups that meet all across the building. And what I wanted to do is just try to give you an overview of the book of Daniel, to try to encourage you to delve deeply into this book with us as we progress through the spring. And whether you're a Christian or not, I, I would say that the book of Daniel has something to offer you some important advice to help you rise above the temptations of our culture today and not conform to the world. So the first thing I want to point out is found in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 5, and then we'll look at Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Look at verse 5 with me. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So here we have it. Here's what we, we've laid out before. What the king was doing them was giving an all expenses paid, full ride scholarship, including room and board to Babylon University. You get that? Now look at verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he may, might not defile himself. Here's the first point I want to bring up to you if you're taking notes. I want you to notice that Daniel lived with purpose. Daniel lived with purpose. If you want to understand how to live courageously 
in a culture of compromise, you have to first understand that you have to do such a thing on purpose. You with me? In this passage, we see a young man introduced into the ranks of the most powerful king on the planet. And I would say that that's heady stuff. He, this, everything was given to him. He didn't pay for anything. He was given free everything that Babylon had to offer. And it was the very best of what Babylon had to offer. At the end of that time, Daniel would be given a job for the rest of his life. Not just any old job. We're talking about a job in the king's service. I would say from an earthly perspective, this is the life. This is a big deal. He was given what everybody else yearned for. But all he had to do was forget who he was and where he was from and conform to Babylon. You see the trade-off? He had to forget where he came from, forget the God of his fathers, accept everything that was being offered to him, and he would have an amazing life. This is the context in which we read in verse 8 that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. If we want to dare to be different in a world that wants us to conform, we have to settle in our minds once and for all just who we are and what our purpose is. By the way, if we look at verse number eight, when it says that he purposed in his heart, what I appreciate about that is, I'm no Hebrew scholar, I just can read after them a little bit. The idea is that they purposed before, before time. Some of your, your translations may actually say that. They purposed beforehand. That means on the 965-mile trip that he had already purposed that when he walked into the city, regardless of what was going to be put in front of his eyes, that he was going to commit himself to serve the Lord. If you want to live courageously in a culture of compromise, you have to purpose right now to do that. It's too late to make up your mind when the issue is right in front of you. Undoubtedly, someone this week is going to have the opportunity to compromise, the, comp uh, the opportunity to tell that lie, to look at that thing, to drink that whatever it is, to actually tell that joke, to do whatever it is, and you have to purpose beforehand rather than just in the moment that you're going to do the right thing and not conform to the world. Does that make sense? You with me this morning? Daniel had purposed beforehand that he would not defile himself. We are children of the King of Kings. Every man, woman, and child that accepts Christ in their lives is accepted into the family of God as a child of God. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, for, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And what I appreciate about Daniel is that this was a man that knew who he was because he had purpose to honor God. I want you to see that. Daniel knew that God was what he was, uh, um, that his value was with God. His worth was dependent upon how God saw him, and that shaped his behavior. Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king. And when his chief official arranged for Daniel and his friends to eat the royal food, Daniel committed himself to honor God. But here's the second thing I want you to see. Look at verse 20. God honored Daniel's commitment. Daniel committed himself to honor God in verse 8, and God honored Daniel's commitment. Look at verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding, 
that the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. You know what's wonderful? As this young man put his faith in God, God answered in response to that faith. Can you imagine a church that would put his faith in God? Just how God could honor that faith in our community? God honored Daniel's commitment. God honored Daniel's faith by causing him to shine among his peers. It actually was the exact opposite of what peer pressure normally does. And if you want to dare to be different in a world that wants you to conform, you have to settle once and for all in your mind that regardless of the pressure, you will honor God. Our duty is to faithfully serve the Lord with all that we have. The details, we just leave in his hands. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your, I like the way it's phrased a long time ago, it's your reasonable service. It's just what you ought to do anyway. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We find Paul repeating what Daniel lived out. Instead of being conformed to the world, he was committed to honor God, and God honored Daniel's commitment in response. So the first point is Daniel lived with a purpose. Secondly, I want to point out that Daniel, Daniel was a man of prayer. We see that over and again. Daniel is famous for being a man of prayer. It's clear that Daniel looked to the Lord as his source of strength. And that's how he lived a sacred life in a secular society. He was a man of prayer. Turn to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. I want you to notice Daniel was a man of prayer even when it was difficult. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 This is one of those things where we find the famous story that everybody read back when we were all reading Eggermeyer's Bible Stories Bible. You know that little one with all the pictures in it? This is the one you know of, but I want you to see something in this story in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom. Ah, that's a big word. As was his custom since the early days. I want you to look at this. Daniel was a man of prayer, but he prayed even when it was difficult. Even when the expression of his faith was not permitted, was forbidden in his society, He refused to allow society to dictate to to him how he would live out his faith. That means that even if there was no free exercise of his religion, he freely exercised his faith in God regardless of what the culture said. Do you see that in the text here? It's not really dangerous for us to pray today, not yet anyway. We can praise the Lord and we're free to pray anywhere we like. The real threat for us, though, is the lack of faith and the lack of courage, the lack of motivation to pray as we ought to pray with others in front of our children. When we sit down for a meal to pray in public, sometimes the challenge is that we don't pray because distractions creep in. 
We're in the midst of doom scrolling Facebook and we don't want to break free. Wait, is that just me or anybody else ever been there before, right? And as a, what happens then, all of these things begin to pull us away and it's just the difficult things. And yet that is exactly when prayer is most important. When there was the threat on Daniel's life, Daniel made sure that is when he would pray. Appreciate the way it was once phrased by Martin Luther. Someone asked him, because he would pray about four hours a day. And uh, someone asked him, hey, you've got a busy day. Do you think you could cut your prayer back a little bit more? And he said, oh, no, no. I'm so busy today, I need to pray more. We need to pray even when it's difficult. Daniel was a man of prayer. Prayer, I believe you can also see here in, in verse 10 that it was second nature to Daniel. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You see that? It's not something that he just started doing when life got difficult. It's something that he made a habit in his life. It became second nature to him, even when it was difficult. Regardless of the circumstances, what you can see is Daniel's time of prayer sustained him in these difficult days, and that's where he found his strength. It was second nature. It wasn't just a band-aid for his emergencies. It was his daily bread for living his faith with Christ, with God, with Jehovah God. Daniel prayed when it was difficult. It was second nature to him. But also, you see here, and I want you to turn over there. It's, we don't have time to jump into all these. We will over the next uh, number of weeks. But in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12, we see that Daniel's prayers were answered. I love this. Daniel 10, 12. Then he said to me, do not fear Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come because of your words. You know what, I, <laughs> I believe this. Ah, oh, can you imagine? I think, first of all, the desire of our church and so many of us is actually to have a church that prays. But then secondly, a church that sees their prayers answered. Daniel had his prayers answered. And as a result of that, Daniel was protected in adversity. This is another answer to his prayer. We, we see this. You can go back to Daniel chapter 6. But if you look at verses 21 and 22, the Bible says, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Get this. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I, found innocent, I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Can I just stop for a second? Can you imagine that kind of answer to prayer? First of all, do you think Daniel was a little bit scared? I mean, have you ever seen a YouTube video of a lion? I, I looked at one just yesterday so I could just kind of think this through. And it was, it was in Africa. It was a large fence, and it was wild lions that would come up on the other side. And they were throwing these chunks of meat. I don't know what it was. I'm talking big chunks of meat. And these lions would grab it out of the air and just run off with it like it didn't weigh about 80 pounds. And they would start chomping on this thing, and you could hear the bones cracking. You think, that's intimidating, right? Right? That is one big kitty. And so when he was looking at those cats, 
It was, it, the whole thing was meant to intimidate, right? That's the reason why uh, Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, had a fiery furnace or the, the other punishment was being thrown to a bunch of big cats. It's because it was meant to intimidate. You know what? One of the things I, I think is just true, oftentimes we think that faith is the absence of fear. I, I don't think that's true. I think that faith is courage to believe in God. And if you understand what courage is, courage sees fear it also sees cowardice, but it still does what, it was, what is right regardless of what turns out. I think you see that with the three Hebrew children. As they tell Nebuchadnezzar when he's threatening to throw them into the fiery furnace, he says, you know, we believe our God will save us, but if not, and then it uses, I don't know how this looks in the Hebrew, but it gives in English a little ellipses, that, you know, the three dots that says, I don't know what's going to happen, but you can fill out the rest of the sentence. You know what that means? They didn't know that they were going to be preserved in the fiery furnace. And yet those boys went to the fiery furnace not knowing what the answer would be. It was actually the exhibition of genuine faith. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give all sorts of elaboration on how Daniel felt when he saw the lions, but you know what he did? He still went and did what was right. He opened his windows as he had beforehand, like he did three times a day since the early days. He opened it up and God answered his faith. I love that. And as a result, God allowed him, I think the only man in history, potentially, to have a living lion skin rug for a sleeping mat. I mean, think about that. He was protected because he was a man of prayer. He was protected uh, even though he it was difficult. It was second nature to him. His prayers were answered. He was protected in adversity. And also, you see this in Daniel chapter 9. Because he was a man of prayer, he received insight into the will of God. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. Look at this. Daniel 9, 22 and 23. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. You know what? Because of his lifetime of prayer, God gave him insight into God's will and plan like he did with very few people. Daniel was a man who lived with purpose. Daniel was a man of prayer. I don't have time this morning to walk through this. It was just a, a random thought I had just before I walked in. I wrote it down. Daniel was a man with friends. He was a man with pals. I'm going with a bunch of peas here. Daniel had Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when you look at that, this is a man that had people that he surrounded himself with who would help him be right. I have to say, Daniel did his ancient version of being in church. It is a lot more difficult to do what's right when you don't have people walking through life doing right with you. Isn't that right? You ever notice that? But we'll move on. Thirdly, Daniel had a heavenly perspective. Living courageously in a world that wants you to conform takes a mind that has a heavenly perspective. Daniel did not allow the possibility of wealth and power 
to distract him from life's purposes. Too often these days, Christians let the circumstances govern their closeness to God. When it ought to be the closeness with God that governs how we handle our circumstances. I'm sure many of you have watched your spiritual life grow and shrink based on the distractions around you. And it could be the opportunity for wealth, fame, political office and power. And under great pressure, Daniel showed that wealth and power and money would not be a distraction for him. Once, King Nebuchadnezzar offered Daniel payment to interpret some, some writing. I, I want you to look at Daniel chapter 5 and verse 17. We don't really take a look at this, at this story very often, but Daniel 5, 17. We see here in Daniel chapter 5 that the king had had another dream that was very distracting to him, and he wasn't sure uh, um, what, what to do here. I'm sorry, I said Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. Belshazzar had tried to make a mockery of Yahweh God. He had actually taken vessels from the temple, and he tried to have a pagan celebration with those vessels. And in the midst of the celebration, we find that on the wall, somewhere in the, in the room where the celebration was being held, there was the letters there, and it spelled out, Mene, Mene, Tekel Yufarsin. And nobody knew what that meant. Someone finally remembered old man Daniel. This man of prayer that had been very important in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel was given the opportunity to come in and, and they all were terrified. The Bible, I, I think this is hilarious because the Bible says that Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed. His lords uh, were astonished, all the people around him. And if you get into this a little bit more, it literally says his knees began to knock and his bowels opened up. Now, you know what that means. And so we won't spell that out. This was a man in terror. And so he calls Nebuchadnezzar to come answer this question. And he offers all sorts of things to try to make him some sort of great man, hoping that he can pay off the man of God. Daniel answers this. Look in verse 17. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I have to say, Nebuchadnezzar offered tremendous wealth. He refused it because he refused to be paid off Instead of an earthly perspective, he had a heavenly perspective. He refused to perform spiritual gifts for any sort of reward. He was content with this heavenly perspective. I have to say this too, this is amazing, because it comes out here right in, in chapter 5, look down here in verse number 22. He didn't allow his fear of people to dissuade him from his life's purpose. He even rebuked the king of Babylon. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Can you imagine saying that to this king? It's amazing. You're right. You, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, 
although you knew all this and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, you and your lords, your wives and your concubines. You've drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways, you have not glorified. Now that, my friends, is what we call courage. That's genuinely living courageously. When everybody around him is compromising, it's so easy for us to lose our minds under the pressure of powerful people. Let me just say this. The Lord has a purpose for your life too. And his opinion matters in the way you live your life and invest your life. And the only opinion that really matters is God's. And Daniel just, he got it. That leads me to my last sub-point. We find it in chapter 10. I believe this, and I'll borrow this from a book, and I forget the name of the, the, the author's name, but it's a book on heaven. I read it shortly after my mother went home to be with the Lord. And at the tail end of the book, the guy paints this beautiful picture that there is an audience of one. And I believe that Daniel lived his life for an audience of one. He lived for his Lord. In chapter 10, we find Daniel, an elderly man, having just prayed a prayer of repentance in Daniel chapter 9 on behalf of his nation that had rejected the God of heaven. Something beautiful happens in chapter 10. He receives a visit from what I believe to be a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Look at verse 6. I say that because in verse 6 it has this description. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. The sound of his words was like the voice of a multitude. Now, If you have time, I'll just read it for you unless you want to turn there. In Revelation chapter 1, this is astonishing to me because you have this story in the Old Testament, in this description. But in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 13, we see uh, John the Revelator, he witnesses something. And in, in verse 13, it says, In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass, as refined in a furnace. And his voice like the sound of many waters. Daniel's response, too, to seeing this theophany was almost identical to John's in Revelation. In Daniel chapter 10, uh, in verse 8, it says, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. We see the same thing in Revelation chapter 1, where we find John, who has his face on the ground. It's an amazing thing. Daniel, who lived his entire life for an audience of one, had the privilege of literally standing in front of that audience in his life. I think it's an amazing thing. 
Because this wonderful king who is worthy of our awe, who is worthy of our praise. Here's what he says in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. He said to me, do not fear Daniel. For from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Here's the point I'm getting at. Daniel lived for an audience of one. There were many lords that he may have served who were the kings of Babylon. But there was one overarching lord that his whole life was dedicated to. He was humble before God. He recognized that God alone was the one that could give him wisdom and insight. And so he gave his life to the Lord. It reminds me of that wonderful passage in the book of Hebrews in which we find Moses also doing something very similar centuries before Daniel, where the Bible tells us that Moses refused the wealth of the world to serve God. Hebrews eleven twenty four. by faith Moses, when he was become of age, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What a thought. Moses, Daniel, I believe every great man and woman of faith have done the same thing. At the end of the day, these are people that lived out their lives in front of an audience of one. To do that, it takes genuine faith. That's my challenge for you today, is this. In this room, there's a number of people, including me, that need to purpose right now while it's easy, while we're here together with our family in Christ. That we need a purpose and dedicate ourselves to living out our faith, to live courageously in a world that's constantly calling us to compromise. Every one of us needs to purpose right now to emulate what Dave, Daniel had. Even though the world tries to attract us, the purpose that we will serve the Lord even though the convenience of the world looks far better, that we will serve the Lord. That even when conniving people try to persecute us for our faith, that we will serve the Lord. Even if you wake up one morning and find that someone's written an editorial about you in the local newspaper, that you'll serve the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. For which cause we faint not, Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. It's a question of whether you'll live for God. You'll live as seeing him who is invisible. Our greatest example is found in the great founder of our religion, God himself. 
Jesus Christ had every opportunity to succumb to pressure. For three and a half years of his ministry, you might have read about this somewhere, it had a lot of danger in it. As a matter of fact, at the very tail end of it, you probably have heard about this one too. He was nailed to a cross. The Bible tells us that he set his face like a flint and he endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. If we would just be like Christ, if we could purpose now to be like Daniel, to be men and women of faith, I promise you this, this community could change. But it takes people who will purpose now. Let's pray. Father, I'm filled with wonder at your word. I'm filled with humility because, Lord, it's impossible in my own power to live this way. But I know that I have failed often enough to feel the shame. Lord, I thank you so much for your love and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray then that you would help us to rededicate ourselves to the great cause of living for you. Lord, I pray that as we sing songs of your greatness, that we read this beautiful word that you've given to us, as we walk alongside one of another through life, you would help us to live courageously. We love you and we praise you. Thank you for this day. We pray this, Lord, in your name.